Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education, working to prepare the next generation of teachers, counselors, and educational leaders through online graduate degrees and hybrid doctoral programs. Details at education.olemiss.edu. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, May 21st. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, congressional reaction to moving the U.S. Embassy in Israel. Then, why aren't law students in Mississippi passing the bar exam? And after Everyday Tech, meet the Mississippi March of Dimes ambassador mom and hear about her miracle baby boy. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi's congressional delegation is responding to the opening of the new U.S. Embassy in Jerusalem. The state's newest U.S. senator calls Jerusalem the cultural and political center of Judaism. Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith posted the comment online where she says she applauds President Donald Trump's decision to move the American embassy in Israel there from Tel Aviv. Hyde-Smith is a Republican. Mississippi's lone congressional dem- Democrat disagrees. Congressman Benny Thompson calls the move political. Well, you know, again... Uh, we have stepped in a hornet's nest, as you know, in my humble opinion, uh, president's playing politics. Uh, he, uh, by moving it, is catering to a faction in Israel that's not everyone. And I think the best way to do things is to sit in a diplomatic environment and work through the challenges. Uh, but that's not who he is, so... Uh, unfortunately, uh, we had a number of people killed uh, recently, uh, I think 17, 18, and it won't stop. And uh, both sides are dug in. It's just I have historically supported uh, a two-state solution where the Palestinian and, and Jewish uh, communities sit down and work out the differences. But in this instance, um People are, are dying unnecessarily, and many of them, in this instance, are just demonstrating their opposition, and they are willing to put their lives on the line to defend their beliefs. 
Congressman Benny Thompson. Palestinians have been protesting the U.S. Embassy move along the Israeli-Palestinian border. Fifty-nine Palestinians have died in those protests. A United Nations human rights group has criticized what it calls disproportionate and indiscriminate use of force on that part of Israel or on the part of Israel, rather. In other news, the overall rate of law school graduates passing the bar exam is declining in Mississippi. According to the Mississippi Board of Bar Admissions, in 2015, 75% of all test takers passed. So far in 2018, it's down to 36%, with one more test scheduled in July. 32 out of 90 candidates passed the exam this February. Susan Duncan is dean and professor of law at Ole Miss Law School. She tells MPB's Ashley Norwood there is background to summary results. Well, I think the first thing that people need to understand is when they hear statistics, um, they only know part of the story. So uh, if you look at first-time takers, they are way higher for the University of Mississippi than the statistics you're probably hearing. So some people are saying there was a, you know, in the 30s percent passage rate. But that's all takers, all schools, repeat takers. So that's not reflective of our our scores. So, for example, our first-time takers were at 75%. So we way outperform the state average. Um, so although we are always wanting that to improve and, and we've done some things inside the law school that I think will drive those numbers up even farther, uh, 75% is not a horrible bar passage rate. In fact, we're very, you know, proud of those students that passed it on the first time. I know some people feel that um, the test may be um, becoming more difficult as a way to control the number of lawyers. What is your response to that? I do believe nationwide there's ongoing discussion about why the bar passage um, has seemed to be slipping a little bit. Um, and and there's no easy answer. I mean, I don't think anybody knows exactly why that's happening, uh, if the test has changed or if the graders are different. Um, it's probably an individual reason for every person that, that doesn't pass. So it's very hard to make just blanket statements about any of this. Some feel that different schools or just, I guess, law schools in general are beginning to admit people that may not be as qualified or that may be less likely to be successful. Well, we're very concerned about that. So you will notice that our quality has not gone down. So our LSAT score has remained constant and is a you know very competitive LSAT score. I know other schools have dropped. Uh, their LSAT score and the quality of their candidate has decreased over the years. Um, and so that could be part of it. The big test preps are coming up as they're ge- getting ready for the July exam. Um, is there something that you would like to say to students who uh, may be nervous, whether it's their first time or those who have taken it time and time again and haven't passed it? Uh, is there some you know words of encouragement that you would like to give to them? Study hard, be diligent, treat this like a full-time job. You know, don't underestimate how difficult it is, but it will pay off in the long run. If they can just keep at it for the summer and and really put the time in and do everything that their bar prep companies are suggesting, uh, they they will be successful. Uh, So just to 
to tell them that we're all cheering from afar and uh, they're ready if they've gone to University of Mississippi to pass it. They just need to complete the preparation by, by doing all the work they need to do to get ready. Susan Duncan is the dean of uh, University of Mississippi Law School. Thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. Marcellus Chamberlain is recent graduate of the Mississippi College School of Law. He tells MPB's Ashley Norwood about the preparation process for the biggest test of his life. Since we've been in law school, we've received so much advice about, you know, once we graduate, taking a moment to exhale, you know, and actually gather yourself before you actually begin studying because that is a process and that is is a journey. Um, What the preparation process will entail and what I'm anticipating is, um, you know, taking simulated exams, um, studying under real test conditions, time conditions, some independent study, um, some group study as well. And, you know, another I mentioned all the advice that I received in law school, but one general thing that I learned is that, you know, everyone is going to give you advice about how you prepare for things, how you can, you know, study most effectively. But what I've learned is that you have to take all advice with a grain of salt, you know. Of course, it's meant to, to help you, but you have to do what works for you. And, you know, I take that to mean the same thing even in preparing for the bar exam. So uh, six weeks going to be a grueling process, but I'm, I'm actually excited about it. The actual exam dates are July 24th and 25th. So some say that first-time takers have um, a higher success rate, but overall the passage rate in Mississippi is declining. So, I mean, how do you feel about that? The numbers are alarming, but I think it creates a certain amount of pressure, you know, for students. But for myself, uh, I see it as good pressure. You know, I, I feel when I'm preparing for this exam and me me passing this exam is basically a certification that, you know, I'm putting myself out here and saying I'm competent to represent, you know, the public, the community, um, whoever. You know, there's, I, have, I feel a certain responsibility to myself, the public, and the profession, you know, to make sure that we that I pass this exam because, you know, it's supposed to test minimal competency. And, you know, I'm, if I'm looking at it like a member of the public or, you know, that has an issue that I want to file a lawsuit or if I'm a business and I want someone to represent my interests, there's a certain level of assurance that I have knowing that, you know, this attorney who was representing me was at least able to pass this exam and, you know, avert that he had minimal competency. And, you know, I, I, I think it's, it, you know, I think it's important to look at those numbers in context, you know. Um, you know, many people try to use those numbers to say that, you know, the quality of law students is declining, and I don't necessarily know that that's true. Um, I do think that it's about the preparation that you put in, and even even with the law schools and, you know, the, the way curriculums are drawn, all of this, I think everybody should see those numbers, and, you know, it should be all, all hands-on-dick effort from the students to the professors to the faculty to the state bar, you know, to try to remedy these declining scores. MC Law graduate Marcellus Chamberlain with MPB's Ashley Norwood. Coming up after Everyday Tech, meet the Mississippi March of Dimes ambassador mom and hear about her miracle baby boy. This is Mississippi Edition on MPV Think Radio. An evening of jazz can be just what the doctor ordered. Join me, Meredith Michelle, with WJSU's Evening Jazz, 7 to 10 weeknights on MPB Music Radio. This is Everyday Tech on Mississippi Edition. I'm Michelle McAdoo with Wills Couture and Jeremy Thompson. And today we're discussing malware, how to spot current threats, and ways to fend them off. So guys, when we say malware, what exactly are we talking about? Well, really the term malware is short for malicious software. 
And the way I really tend to think about it is it's kind of an umbrella term for all of those different malicious items that manage to make it onto our tech device. Also, it's probably the most annoying thing that people encounter on their computers from day to day because it can pop up anywhere. It can be a, a random pop-up on your computer or you could be up on the Internet or, or clicking on something in your email and it can pop up. So knowing what it is and knowing how to uh, treat the problem is definitely something that everybody with a, an electronic device needs to know. When you start seeing a slowing down phone, a slowing down computer, a slowing down laptop, typically malware is going to be to blame for that. How do we recognize malicious programs and links in email or on the web? My policy is don't click on links in your email unless you know the person and the email looks like something that they would send you. You can kind of tell how people send their emails. I always write mine like a form letter, so I have a salutation and all that. So if you got something from me that says, check this out, that is suspect. The, the best rule of thumb, as far as I'm concerned, when it comes to uh, links, whether they're in email or even on the web, is if I'm going somewhere, especially if I'm going somewhere that has my personal or financial information, I don't click a link. I'm going to type it in myself. If I'm going to my bank, I'm going to type my bank's name in rather than follow any link that I'll ever see in an email. Absolutely. Um, you always want to make sure that the link that you're, if, if you're going to click on the link, you need to make sure that it's actually going to the address that appears because it's possible for them to make it look like it's going to Google when it's really going to something else completely different. Um, it's possible to uh, put your mouse over the link and you can actually see where it's going to take you or you could also copy the link address and put it in, uh, paste it into Word or Notepad or something and see where it's actually going. Yeah, that's a very, very common trick that folks will do. You may be thinking you're going one place, but you totally end up somewhere else. Um, and a lot of times you don't realize it until it's too late. One very common way that it's been spreading lately is by people uh, receiving an invoice from somebody they know. And so they click on it because they're like, well, what did they send me this for? And as soon as you click on that invoice, they got you too. And they get in your email and they get your address book and they send it out to all your people too. So what are some effective apps for defending your tech? So Wilson, I really believe in two apps that are out there right now. Um, you've got Avast Antivirus, which we talk about all the time. Uh, it's a great free program. It's also the number one virus protection on the planet. It keeps you protected from most of the things that are out there. Uh, the other one, Wilts, Malwarebytes. Oh, Malwarebytes is just, it's been a, uh, a resident in the stable for quite a while. It just does an extremely effective job at actually tending to removing and just cleaning up from any kind of malware infections. So what do you do if you have become infected? My, my first recommendation, if you already have these programs downloaded on your computer and you've got them updated, disconnect from the Internet. A lot of malware actually uses your Internet connection to power itself. So if you're not on the Internet, then it keeps those pop-ups from coming up when you're removing different programs. That's a good first step. Then definitely run the scan with Malwarebytes first and then uh, run it again after that to make sure that it comes up with zero infections. If you're still noticing any kind of slowdowns or you're still suspect of your computer possibly still being infected, uh, at that particular point would probably be when I would say you'd want to reach out to an IT professional. So, Michelle, when we're talking about malware, we like to go with the old adage, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. You do not need to wait for these things to become problems on your computer. You can install these programs now and nip it in the bud before it becomes a massive problem for you. That's true, Jeremy. 
And if you feel you have been compromised, we need to always remember there are over-the-counter cures for your computer woes. Just like if you're walking down the aisle of your local pharmacy and you see plenty of home remedies, there are several remedies out there for what may be ailing your computer. We will talk more about malware on Everyday Tech, the show that comes on Wednesdays at 10 a.m. You can send us an email to everydaytech at mpbonline.org. For Wilts Couture and Jeremy Thompson, I'm Michelle McAdoo. This is Everyday Tech on Mississippi Edition. I'm Marshall Ramsey, the host of Now You're Talking, the show about the most interesting people in Mississippi. Join us to hear stories from artists, activists, and entrepreneurs. Every Monday at 10, only on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The 2018 Mississippi March of Dimes Ambassador Mom is Keisha Flanagan. She tells us the story of her miracle baby boy, Carter. I was at risk at 26 and a half weeks. I didn't know I was at risk. I had went in for my gestational diabetes test, and I passed it. Everything was great, but the nurse had forgotten to take my blood pressure. So on our way out, she remembered that she didn't take it on our way in, so she took it then. And I was already on prehypertension pills before I became pregnant. Well, um, she took my blood pressure, and she didn't say anything. And I always ask, how is it? And she just told me, give, a, you know, give her a few seconds, and she's going to retake it. So we talked and talked for about three or four minutes. She took it again, and she just said, hmm. So she stepped out, and when she came back in, my doctor was with her. And uh, my doctor told me she wanted me to go downstairs and take a nap for about an hour because I hadn't eaten anything because I couldn't eat anything prior to the uh, diabetes test. So I took a nap. My husband went and got us something to eat, and by the time he had come back, they told me I would have to stay until February, and this was November. Do you She's have to stay in the hospital? Stay in the hospital until February. Do you remember was, what your blood pressure was when at that time? And they didn't tell me the numbers. Oh. I don't know if they didn't want to scare me, but it didn't look good. It scared them, it sounds right. like. She told me I would have to be on bed rest, and I panicked. I freaked out. I was you couldn't be at bed on bed rest at home? You had to do it in the hospital? She said no. She said because for one that she had just had a patient not long ago that was in the same uh, predicament and that um, we didn't live in the Flowood area, Flowood, Jackson area. She said it would be too far if something were to happen while I was at home. She wanted me to be right there under supervision where she can monitor me and other OBGYNs as well. So I had a baby shower coming up that Saturday. So everything was canceled. Oh. Yes, and I was there. So you had a sad rest of your pregnancy and, and a risky rest of your pregnancy because on top of the high blood pressure, then you got pneumonia? Yes. They was trying to figure out why my blood pressure was high because my vital signs were good. I looked good. When I woke up, I remember the nurses were asking me, why are you here? <laughs> because I was on my way to work and 
I was like, I don't know. Now, the week before, I had come down with a cold, but it was in the middle of seasons changing from um, summer to fall. So my allergies were flaring up, and I called the doctor's office. And ask them what could I take before taking my regular um, allergy medicine. I did. And it cleared up. But I kept having a really dry cough. And while I was there, I kept coughing. So they found did a full body scan of me to find out what was wrong. And that's um, when they found out I had walking pneumonia. My kidneys were failing and my blood pressure was up. I guess all of that was playing to effect. I had come down with pre uh, preeclampsia, but it wasn't severe. But it was the walking pneumonia that was causing everything. And they couldn't treat the walking pneumonia without taking the baby. So I was there for about four days before she said she was going to have to take him because I wasn't getting any better. So how many months when he was taken out? Yeah, I was six months. So really early. Yes. How much did he weigh when he was born? He weighed one pound, three ounces. When was the first time you got to hold him? I held him... Right before Christmas. He was born November the 7th. So that next month, Christmas, I held him maybe uh, three or four days before Christmas. They was trying to wait until he got to two pounds. Because they say once, research states, once a preemie baby becomes two pounds, they begin to just take off. Everything begins to start rolling. Were you able to touch him? Yes, every day. Well, that had to help someone, I would guess. It did. He would grasp my finger. I would hold on to his little tiny fingers, and he would grasp it. And I could rub his head. I can touch him, but I couldn't hold him. Mm -hmm. At that point, he was just too fragile. You brought him home what date? I brought him home February 21st, 2016. He was due on Valentine's Day. Has he had any lasting effects of being born so early? Not at all. He's an active little two-year-old? Very active. I don't want to say terrible twos, so I'm going to say terrific twos, but he is too wild. That is exactly what he is, but he hasn't missed a beat. And we're so blessed because he walked. He did everything on time according to his original due date in February. And once he turned two, his uh, doctors no longer consider him they don't measure him on the premium scale anymore because he's, he's right, caught up. Yes, where he's supposed to be. That's great. How has the March of Dimes, or how did the March of Dimes help you through all of that? Uh, March of Dimes helped motivational-wise. Um, they helped us as far as giving us advice and as far as telling me that I need to indulge in the kangaroo care. But March of Dimes, um, the information they provide for mothers, because mothers go through so much, um, telling you what you need to do, how to be strong, how to remain positive, all the different things that could happen, although they may not happen. But they helped me understand what I may face. And some of the things I did face as far as the oxygen, as far as um, educating me on his lungs, about them being immature and having chronic lung disease in an early age, although he can outgrow it because he was so young. And he has because he hasn't had, hasn't had any long problems since. So March of Dimes is a big help. What does it mean to be the ambassador family for March of Dimes this year? We were so blessed, so excited. It was a shocker because we didn't know. I had been supporting March of Dimes since I moved here to Mississippi. I relocated here in 06 from Memphis. And I will always participate in the walk because my school district, they support it. I never knew that I would be on the other side and would deliver a premature baby. 
and then become the ambassador family for the Jackson, Mississippi metro area years later. So it, the knowledge that I had about it beforehand really helped me when I uh, found out I was going to have to have him early because I knew a little about it. My husband didn't know anything about it, so I had to educate him. <laughs> and every day I would go to the website while my son was in the NICU and read about different women, their stories under the Marjorie Dimes site. I learned, I read, I read continuously because I wanted to know all about premature babies. You know, what can we do to help those mothers after I came home from the NICU. I met other mothers across the country that have had premium babies in other states, and we collaborate. We talk. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And no, all babies do not make it. Some do have disabilities, and some thrive. I'm, we're just blessed that Carter thrived by being born a pound and three ounces because that's so tiny. And he has no lasting effects? None. None. Well, that's great news, and I thank you so much for sharing your story. Keisha Flanagan, Jason Flanagan, and little Carter Flanagan, who's just fine. Thank you so much. Thank you. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Deep South Dining. At 10 o'clock, it's Now You're Talking. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. Did you miss part of the show today? Find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB Public Media app from the Apple or Google Play stores. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 830 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio.